welcome to It's Complicated, a podcast about healthcare ethics and practice presented by the Nova Scotia Health Ethics Network, or NSHEN. I'm Marika Warren, network ethicist for NSHEN, and I'll be your host for this discussion. I'm joined today by my colleagues, Lisbeth Withoff-Nielsen, who is the program coordinator for NSHEN, and Christy Simpson, who is the ethics collaborations coordinator in the Dalhousie Department of Bioethics. Today, we're having a conversation that takes the series Five Days at Memorial as its launching point, but is really focused on questions about how ethics can help in a crisis, drawing in part on our own experiences during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic response. But to start us off, Lisbeth, could you give us a very quick overview of the events that are dramatized in Five Days at Memorial? Yeah, I'll be happy to. So Five Days at Memorial is a miniseries in eight episodes available on Apple TV. The show is created by Carlton Cuse and John Ridley, and it was released earlier this year. It's based on a book written by Sherry Fink that was published in 2013 and has the same title. The show is in eight episodes, but for the purpose of our conversation today, I'll summarize the first five episodes. um, And they focus on the events that unfolded at the Memorial Hospital in New Orleans during and after Hurricane Katrina in 2005. In the first episode, we follow the events at the Memorial Hospital during the hurricane itself. Uh, More than 2,000 people, including about 200 patients and 600 personnel, took shelter during the storm in the hospital. Memorial Hospital buildings also housed another hospital, which was called Life Care. And this small hospital was for critically ill patients who needed extensive hospital stay. Life Care did not belong to Tenet Health Corporation that were in charge of Memorial. And that was a circumstance that came to play an important role in the following days. The hospital gets through the hurricane okay. However, not long after, the levees around the city breaks and the city floods. And water levels rise several feet. And because the hospital's electrical system was based only a few feet above the ground, the hospital lose power. Memorial Hospital's emergency plan document, however, has no guidance for complete power failure and evacuation during flooding. They reach out to tenant Life Care also reach out to their corporate office and they're informed that their patients will be included in the evacuation at Memorial Hospital. The emergency incident commander at Memorial and all the doctors come together to decide how to triage people for evacuation. And they decide that the first ones to be rescued are babies in the NICU, pregnant mothers and patients who were at greater risk from the heat. Among those that would be the last ones to be um, evacuated are those with a do not resuscitate order that are bed bound. The Coast Guard helicopters come to rescue, but the evacuation is really slow. So the lifts are not working and patients that are bed bound need to be carried through the hospital and two flights upstairs to the helipad. And on day four, an official from the National Guard arrives and tells the emergency incident commander that the rescue boats will arrive the next day. On day five, law enforcement arrives with boats and say that the evacuation needs to be completed by 5 p.m. and that they can't stay beyond that deadline to protect the hospital because of civil unrest in the city. And that changes the triaging uh, for evacuation. Now, everyone who are well enough to walk are evacuated first, whereas the sickest bedbound patients are now the last ones to be evacuated, as well as those who are bedbound and have uh, DNRs. 
At this point, it's also clear to the emergency incident commander and to the doctors that it's not possible to evacuate all patients by 5 p.m. The message is that no patients alive will be left behind. And then this is when Dr. Poe and other doctors start considering what it would mean to provide comfort care or what they describe as comfort care for patients who are the last priority for the evacuation list and may not be able to be evacuated in time. Finally, the hospital is evacuated, uh, but when people enter the hospital after the events, 45 bodies are found in the hospital and an investigation is instigated. And that is when the last three episodes kicks in that I will not go further into here. Terrific. Thanks so much, Elizabeth, for sort of setting the stage uh, for us. And I think for me, as I was watching this, and I'd read the book previously, and one of the things I found interesting was how much more sort of visceral the experience was of watching it versus reading. And so when reading, I was sort of, you know, approaching on a more analytic level uh, and, you know, quite frankly, engaging in, in more judgment of um, what the uh, the people involved did do or should have done. Um, but watching it, I found myself much more focused on oh, what would I have done if I were in that situation as an ethicist and feeling really unsure both about what I would or could have done, but also sort of thinking more broadly, because as I watched it, it was after having the experience of providing ethics support during the COVID pandemic, what what could the role be? How could ethics be helpful potentially in that situation or, you know, or would ethics uh, be helpful at all sort of thing. So that's what really um, struck me. I'm curious, Christy, what sort of stuck, struck you as you watched? One of the things that really stood out for me was around how context matters. So I couldn't help but compare and contrast what we've experienced as ethicists and as communities and as people through the COVID pandemic versus what they were experiencing during and after Hurricane Katrina. Because I think in ethics, so often we do talk about how context matters, how that's relevant for what decisions we make, what guidance we might provide as ethicists, and the types of things that we're considering. But you start to realize something like a hurricane is very different than two and a half or more years of a pandemic as well. So what the role is of ethics and thinking about what you would do in some circumstances, just as you said, Marika, and then what we were doing during the COVID pandemic really opened my eyes to a number of different pathways we can take in terms of thinking through what are the ethics issues, what values are relevant, and how would we help support people through a very intense short-term event versus a much longer event like we've recently experienced. And for you, Elizabeth? Yeah, I think what really struck me was the triaging process. But what struck me about it was that they had to make these big decisions on the fly and it didn't actually leave much room for consideration of whether that particular way of triaging um, was the appropriate principles or uh, to follow in in that situation. And there was not uh, perhaps also more uh, much consideration given to what consequences that way of triaging would have uh, and I'm also thinking in that context about their decision to um, triage people with DNRs um, as the last ones to be evacuated. There was also 
other things that struck me, uh, and especially the amount of issues that did not have to do with the disaster in itself, but issues that contributed to make things even worse at the hospital. So the fact that the electrical system had not been upgraded and that the power system was still at ground level, uh, the fact that the two hospitals, from what we see in the TV series, did not have a shared evacuation plan. Yeah, and I think that that leads into another sort of focus for me when I was uh, watching was around the emphasis on the plan um, and the fact that, you know, there was an emergency plan, but it didn't take into account the situation that they found themselves in. And there was, I think, some some degree of implied critique um, of that fact and a, a sense perhaps that if there had been a plan or if the plan had envisioned this particular situation that they were in, that sort of none of this would have happened. And I think you know, it was an incredibly complex situation. Healthcare is already an incredibly complex operation you know, on a normal day where everything is going smoothly and then you know, layer on all these other variables. And like you say, so many things, you know, the communication pieces and you know, the, you know, the fact that the rest of the environment in which Memorial sat was also in crisis. It was that, that scope as well in terms of you know, not being able to draw on resources that you might assume otherwise when you're doing that sort of planning. Um, so you know, recognizing all of that, I had some skepticism about whether you know, a, a more carefully thought out plan that included that particular scenario would have necessarily helped. And some of that comes from, again, our experiences during COVID and providing ethics support and you know, some of the, the planning that uh, we did around H1N1, as well as after H1N1, there was some work on an all-hazards plan in Nova Scotia, and none of that seemed to really bear significantly on how we responded when COVID arrived. So it's that that whole experience you know, that I've had during COVID really resonated then with what we saw in five days at Memorial. And I think that you know, certainly I've become more skeptical about the ability of a plan, no matter how well-crafted, no matter how thoughtful, um, to avoid the need to make difficult ethical choices in a crisis. However, I do think that the process of making a plan and thinking through what are the questions we're going to have to ask ourselves in these moments, what are the key values that guide us when we're having these sorts of discussions are useful and that we can then draw on that um, so that we've you know sort of gotten ahead on thinking about if we have to triage, on what basis should we do that. And I think, too, um, another aspect of the uh, the series that I thought was useful is that it showed how um, the plan or their response changed when their understanding of the situation changed. But there were times when there was sort of a misalignment between their response in terms of getting the sickest and most vulnerable out first and the sort of the reality of you know the need with the uh, events unfolding in the city were sort of mismatched. And so how do you both you know, come up with a response, but also shift when there's those problems with communication, when you know, you're doing everything by walkie-talkie and word of mouth and you know, the rumor mill is going wild. So anyhow, there was a lot of thinking that I had around sort of plans. And again, the, the role of ethics in uh, you know, creating a plan. And again, that you know, plans don't avoid the need to make ethical decisions, but I would argue that it can make it easier to make those hard choices. But I'm curious, Christy, what uh, for you sort of you know, caused you to ruminate more on your role in the past two years? And 
Sure. Yeah. No, and I was going to pick up on what you were just saying, Marika, in terms of a plan, because I, I went down the same pathway as you in terms of thinking about what can ethics offer and what's the value of having a plan and what does that mean? And just as you were sharing now, one of the things that struck me is we often build into plans the need to be responsive and flexible. Great. Really important. And as you say, as new information comes, how do we respond? What's, how do we adjust the plan so we reduce that misalignment that you were mentioning? But also realizing in a context of, high, of lack of information or a high degree of uncertainty, how quickly you can respond and how flexibly you can respond and adapt really opens up a space around, well, what is going to guide your thinking in those moments? And as we've, we've all seen in the series too, as you get more tired, as you're under increasing stress, as that worry about everyone really takes hold, our ability to think through as clearly as we can and be flexible and adaptable, I think, decreases. So it also takes us down the pathway that we saw more during COVID to the factors around what does it mean to support staff? What does it mean to support patients and families? from a wellness perspective. So what do people need in order to be able to keep going? And I think COVID really pushed our assumptions around plan for the long-term, not just for a short-term uh, crisis. The focus on supports, I think, is really important too for how we might build that into a plan. So what's the handover that happens? When do people get a chance to sleep if they're in the quote-unquote command and control kind of roles, or they're the ones where they're making those difficult decisions? Who's involved? How do they get spelled off? All of those pieces, I think, become much more interesting to me as well from a process perspective about how do we build a plan that helps with the process pieces so that you have a, right, don't forget to think about these things. Don't forget to ask these questions. What are the values that we're making decisions on? All of those factors, as you've mentioned. So I think that's one big piece that really stood out for me. The other piece that we've talked about as well is that part of how different is what people are experiencing from the normal that they experience in healthcare. So the degree of change from the normal really emphasizes the more that degree is higher as it's bigger and bigger and different, the harder it is for people to adjust and to respond and adapt as quickly as they could without second guessing what's happening or wanting to revisit or challenge or whatever the case may be. And so that's an interesting piece too that I don't think we've built in as well or talked about as much in our plans. COVID, again, with all the different waves and pushes and pulls, I think has encouraged us to think more about what's different, what's the same, we're not going back to the normal, what's the new normal, all of those kinds of pieces that I think are suggestions around how do we cope with both the uncertainty, but also figuring out what's our baseline. What is the thing that are the bedrock around our values? And what are those pieces that we don't want to forget about regardless of whatever else is going on that we can look back on and say, at least we held true to these values or live them out as best we could given everything else that was going on. All right, and for you, Lisbeth, recognizing that your role is a bit different in terms of providing ethics support and that you're often the first point of contact for folks who are seeking help. Yeah, I think working as an ethics administrator during COVID, um, it's been a different role than both Christy and, and you've had. Um, but it has certainly made me think about the expectations that people may have when they contact ethics for support and how 
to respond um, in the most appropriate way to people's needs, especially in those situations where there might be very limited things that ethics can do, or it might not necessarily be an ethics request. Um, but then what what can you do to help? Because uh, one of the things that I've really become aware of is that when everyone are during a crisis, everyone are under pressure, emotions tend to run higher. They might run high in any healthcare situation where people are under stress, but when you have an overall crisis like COVID, everyone's under pressure continually. And so emotions are higher. People might have easier to show anger, frustrations, sadness, grief. Um, And how do you best respond to that, uh, especially in situations where there might be very little that we can do from ethics support, but it's still important to respond. Um, And I think listening, it's perhaps even more important in, in these situations. Yeah, no, I think that, uh, again, just speaks to um, sort of the, the ways when we are put in a crisis situation, sort of where do we look for, you know, that support, that help sort of thing. And I think, you know, understanding what are the expectations around ethics support, again, particularly in a crisis, is something important for us to uh, reflect on and help to be really clear for ourselves and also for folks that we're providing support to around, you know, what we're able to do and how we can best help as well as, you know, if ethics support really is what's necessary, how can we still ensure that that need is met? Because I think, again, there's that sort of obligation there, you know, to do something when, you know, someone comes to you sort of with uh, with those concerns and, and needs and, again, expressing that uh, you know, something needs to be done for them. So uh, there's, and there's a ton more in this, uh, this series we could talk about, certainly, although I, I it is quite heavy. I don't necessarily recommend the binge watch approach for this one, um, but you know, taking some time to sort of process uh, and reflect. Um, but to bring our discussion to a close, I'm wondering for you know, both of you how the series Five Days at Memorial can help us understand what is complicated about providing ethics support during times of crisis. So maybe do you mind, Elizabeth, if we come back to you for that one first? Absolutely. Uh, I think whether it's a disaster situation as the one we encountered in five days or memorial um, or a pandemic that we're going through where we're dealing with a new virus, no vaccine or cure to start with, um, the fact that having to address ethical issues in complex situations where there is high level of uncertainty, uh, where everyone's under pressure and experiencing stress and or distress um, and where decisions may need to be made very fast. It makes it even harder to determine what the best or most right thing to do would be. And I think the TV series actually does a good job in illustrating that. I also think um, it helps us understand the importance of revisiting decisions that were made during crisis and review and say what went well, what didn't go well, and how might we adjust if we were to find ourselves in a similar situation another time. I'm thinking especially the triaging that that we saw in, in the TV series and how it would have been useful to go back, and they have done, but revisiting that and thinking, okay, 
what is the justification for that way of triaging and are there other ways that may have been more efficient or more fair? Um, so, yeah. yeah. I think for me, and to link into some of that, there was, um, I think, a highlighting the fact that you know, people under crisis behave differently. Um, and I think some of you know the work of ethics involves sort of taking a step back and you know thinking in a very particular way that um, benefits from you know time and space from reflection and sort of taking broad perspective and considering all the various you know perspectives all the various values that are at play all the you know various individuals who are affected and their situations and that sort of uh, space just isn't available to people who are in these sort of crisis situations particularly the one where we see where it's sort of an immediate and all-encompassing crisis but i think even to a certain degree during covid that again that that space for that sort of thinking has been in short supply and so i think for us you know as folks who do ethics support sort of recognizing how you know crisis and everything that goes with it in terms of sort of cognitive and effective pieces you know impacts the the way we're able to to think and do the sort of uh, work that ethics requires is something that we really need to sort of take seriously and take on board and I think you know reflect more on some of the you know, psychological aspects of it uh, going forward because I think sometimes we assume that you know good people will you know continue to make you know quote unquote good decisions uh, and I think that you know something that again is highlighted in the series is that you know sometimes you know, good people, can make decisions that in retrospect, we want to say that wasn't the best decision or that was a bad decision. And I think you know, recognizing and you know, taking that seriously on board is important, but also you know, to tie it back into that, you know, that really does make it complicated. And for you, Christy. Yeah, I guess a couple of things that I would add to what both of you have said, but I, I agree with what uh, both of you have shared about it. I think upon reflection, one of the things that I would say is, I don't think I could have watched this series earlier in the COVID pandemic. I think it would have been too too real in a different kind of way when we're already experiencing pandemic and trying to, in the early 2020, trying to get through and do all of that work. And so it was an interesting piece for me to realize the emotional toll um, that even watching a miniseries can invite you into because we've had the COVID experience, right? So it's another way of feeling your way through what you're thinking about as well, right? And doing that reflection that, that you were just mentioning, Marika. So that's one piece of it. And sort of for me, just even to recognize what it feels like to go through it, even if it's, it's based on you know, real events, it's a true story in a different kind of way, but it's still on miniseries. But it does get you into that very much, that reflective space about what would I have done in those moments. And it also does a good job, even while there's the questions about what decisions were made or how they made decisions, the series also does a really great job of showing the efforts that people will go to to care for their patients. And part of me says that's amazing to see. We saw so much of that during COVID. But a big part of it has really raised that question about what does the duty to provide care actually mean? Is it fair to build into our plans an expectation that people will go that far? Is it something that people do in moments of crisis that they couldn't do otherwise? Um, because we are seeing the toll that the COVID pandemic has taken in our healthcare system as well. And so the conversation about heroes and what does it mean to be a hero and what does it mean to continue to inhabit or have the expectation placed on you that you will be a hero 
two and a half years in, I think also raises those broader questions within healthcare and within society around what's the ethical import, of course, for us, the ethical import of it, but what does it mean to actually build plans and be clear about what expectations we're looking for? Are we building crisis plans that expect people to behave above and beyond? Is it reasonable? Is it appropriate? And even as I ask those questions, I think, well, what, what would it mean in the case of the five days at Memorial? What would it mean in the, if we could plan for something like the COVID pandemic in advance? How well would we have done? Would we have gotten some of that right? Uh, and so it is that part about coming back to what do we learn from it? How do we reflect on it? And do it in a way that I think is not about the blaming, because it's so easy to go to, well, that was that person who made that decision that was wrong or maybe not the best decision, but more about, well, how do we think about when we shut down healthcare services and the impacts across different patient populations? Would we do that differently again? Would we do it differently if it was a short-term crisis or we thought it was short-term versus knowing it might be a longer-term one? And so I'm really keen to think more about how do those aspects work and what's the role of ethics in helping to foster and facilitate those kinds of conversations. Terrific. Well, speaking of conversations, thanks so much to both of you for joining me for this one today. We so appreciate you know, your time and the insight uh, that you've provided today. We should also thank uh, the production support that uh, we receive from Lisbeth, uh, as well as Krista Maleshko-Scary and the team at Dalhousie MedIT. We give thanks to Ben Caps for our theme music, and thank you for listening. As always, please feel free to contact Enshen through our website with any feedback you have, including ideas for future episodes. Until next time. Mm-hmm.